Welcome to Hysteria. I'm Aaron Ryan. With me this week, Karen Deal. Hi. And Grace Para. What? On this very special episode, Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono joins me to talk Kavanaugh, Senate Republicans, and other bullshit. Her word, not mine. We've also got Grace Parra and Kieran Deal in studio to highlight some female candidates we're excited about. And later, actor and writer Jen Richards stops by to talk about trickle-down feminism. And of course, we wouldn't leave you without telling you what hills will die on this week. I'm so excited. A couple housekeeping things. We have Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono this week mm. for Uterus Weekly, a very special edition. She's great. We got her to say bullshit twice. Mm. Uh, and we also have Jen Richards, actor, writer. She's wonderful. We have her on for the second half of the show. Housekeeping stuff. Uh, so we've been getting a deluge of emails from listeners in response to stuff we've covered. A lot of stuff in response to Grace's uh, birth control story. We're still getting emails about that weeks really? later. Really, weeks I, later. I, I, thank you guys for all the feedback on that. It's been, it's been, yeah, it's been wonderful. Turns hear. out getting a birth, getting birth control is a pain in the ass. Yeah, everywhere. Yep. Uh, we've also gotten a lot of stuff uh, about Kavanaugh, sexual assault. Um, and other issues like voting, registering women who are running for office. These are all things that are important to us and that we like to read about and that we promise that we're taking a look at, but that we run out of time to respond to. And we promise we'll have a reader mailbag episode soon. If you want to get in touch with us, the email address is hysteria at crooked.com. That's hysteria at crooked.com. Another housekeeping thing, you should listen to Pod Save America. Tuesday's episode of Pod Save America is really good. Um, on Friday, two women followed Jeff Flake into an elevator. Two hours later, the vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court was delayed by one week, and that was partially thanks to one of the women interviewed on this Tuesday's Pod Save America, Ana Maria Archila. She's great. The mm -hmm. interview is really, really a good listen. If you want to feel uplifted, um, she's got a lot of tenacity. She's got a lot of grit. She's really, really cool person. So listen to Tuesday's Pod Save America. I mean, always listen to Pod Save America, but Get down. Tuesday is particularly good. Also, like being up uplifted is uh, is worth its weight in gold right now because mm -hmm. there's a lot to, to just trying to drag us down these days. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that there are a lot of people who are equally determined to bring it back up. Yes, you know? I agree. I agree. And like view the long game. So we're going to go to the news real quick. A lot's happened last week in the Kavanaugh stuff. On Wednesday, September 26th, Kavanaugh released his 1982 summer calendars to dispute Christine Blasey Ford's allegations. Uh, the same day we learned that there was a third woman who was accusing him of, uh, of sexual misconduct in addition to Dr. Ford and Deborah Ramirez. The uh, people listed on the day of the calendar that he provided do match, the, match party. the people that uh, Dr. Ford said were at we're the at party. Timmy PJ and Squee? Yeah. Squee's my favorite. And fucking Squee. Fucking Squee, man. Yeah, I mean that's that's we interesting. We all need a squee in our lives. <laughs> it's, it's also interesting to me, and I and I kind of I I made this joke, I believe, on Twitter. Who keeps you know if you kept calendars like that involved in the eighties, like you were either a you're you're a nerd, right? Mm -hmm. But like, how was Brett Kavanaugh this like hard partying jock guy, but also kept calendars? The only guy who kept calendars and was a hard partying jock in the eighties was like uh, Patrick Bateman. Mm -hmm. He was also, but you have to remember that Kavanaugh is very rich. Oh, yeah. Like, he's hella rich. He like, got into Yale with no connection. No, just his grandfather. But there was a, what, it, like, John Oliver's show was like, there's a golf course at his high school. Like, there's Yeah, a, Georgetown Prep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Georgetown Prep is probably one of the most prestigious. This is one thing that hasn't been discussed a ton in the news is that it's one of the most prestigious prep schools in the nation, one of the wealthiest demographics in, in the country. So academics are going to be highly valued at that school. And also, I'm a jock man. It's like, I think the... I think I think both of those things could exist at the same time, but mm -hmm. um, 
but the the excessive amount of like privilege of that particular schooling environment is oh really yeah pressing yeah. it's it's intense Okay, so now we're moving on to Thursday, 10 years after last Wednesday. Thursday the 27th, <laughs> there was a really long hearing that a lot of people watched. Uh, I think it was, I read something like one in five Americans watched it or something oh like my that. God. There was yeah. also a real-time uh, hysteria text chain where Megan Gailey was drinking mimosas yes, early in the morning. She did invite us over to her house at 7 in the morning. Yeah. Yes. She invited us the day before to come over at 7 and drink mimosas. There That's will right. be mimosas was a big hard sell. Yes. And then there was a real-time account. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all of us just like, can you believe this? How are you doing emotionally? How are you feeling right now? Yep. I like that we checked in with each other during We that. did check in with each other. Alyssa Mastromonaco and I were texting back and forth all day. It was, yeah. it was a rough day for a lot of women. I think it was a rough day for a lot of uh, survivors, men and women. And Probably I, a great day for bars, though. It, well, it wasn't a good day for beer, that's for sure. <laughs> it had to, beer beer stock just dropped. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Beer makes people a drunken creep like Ambien made Roseanne a racist. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's the beer's fault. Yeah, plenty of people are capable of drinking beer without acting like a creep. Thursday was beer's recession. It was just, <laughs> yeah, it was not great. Um, on Friday, September 28th, the Judiciary Committee voted to send Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Senate floor, but thanks to two selfless, badass women who we mentioned earlier in the show, that's Maria Gallagher and Ana Maria Archila, Senator Flake called for an FBI investigation to last no more than one week to explore the allegations against Kavanaugh. And as of this recording, the FBI investigation is currently underway, and it's supposed to conclude momentarily. Apparently, they've done all the investigating that they need to do. Just a note that uh, Senator Flake is not a hero. I mean, he might have had a uh, he might have actually had some uh, moral compass bestowed upon him as a gift from these fantastic women that we mentioned. Uh, but this is, you know, he <laughs> the fact that it took the intervention of Maria Gallagher and Ana Maria Archia is very upsetting. And to me. like we, weeks of behind the scenes meetings. Yeah. And like that's another thing. I, I'm I'm not going to bestow the title of hero on a person who is displaying basic levels of human decency. Yep. It's, yep. And it, it's so often that we're expected to do that. Jo Joe Scarborough tweeted about how, like, one man can... It's like, Joe, honestly, fuck off. Yeah, like, I agree. Stop. The reason that things are so bad is because we're so willing to, like, like you know, get on our knees and, and worship people who act in a minor decent way and mm -hmm. that's just it that's why everything's so broken i think mm -hmm. or i think it might have to do with the fact that it's was the reason that there was such a it felt like there was a, such a huge discrepancy between those 11 white male senators and the populace or what women are feeling is because there's no women which brings us to the midterms and uh and an opportunity to vote yeah uh, which is a place to really galvanize who gets to sit in that hearing, mm -hmm. who gets to be the person asking the questions? Mm -hmm. um, who's a, whose voice represents you mm -hmm. specifically and the importance of that? Well, I can't see this current Republican Party ever breaking stride with tradi tradition or history and appointing a single woman to the judiciary, even if like women are running. It's, there's never been a, a female Republican on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate ever. So I can't see them breaking tradition. But we're going to highlight some women in a little bit who are running for office who on the Democratic side can add that energy and, and maybe look make it look even more cartoonish than it did last week when it was just 11 white guys and the Democrats. 
So and the prosecutor and the prosecutor. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. They're Aunt Lydia. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I haven't heard that. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's I've said it multiple times. <laughs> She's it was awful. And then they just sort of here's the thing. Then they just sort of dismissed her rudely when they were done using her as a mouthpiece to talk to a woman. And it's just like, yeah, that's what happens. You align yourself with those guys. They're going to use you for their purposes and then continue to disrespect you. Yeah. They're never you're you're never going to be one of them. Yeah. I liked the. Her the SNL take on it when it was AD Bryant, mm-hmm. yeah, and then she was just like, "Oh, okay, I- I'm already regretting this." <laughs> <laughs> she was so great, yeah, in that. yeah. She was funny. she was great. I want to talk about one more thing. Last night, President Trump had a rally in Mississippi. Did you? Did yeah, yeah. You you texted us about. I it, texted. Grace. Yeah, there's a lot of texting that goes on behind the scenes. Clearly, yeah. I I texted the second that I saw. Trump mocking the uh, female reporter. I think it was actually two female reporters, one yeah. from N- NBC News and then one from MSNBC. Yeah, he had a big mocking couple days. He, it was the female <sighs> yeah. reporter, but I was talking about at the rally in Mississippi when he was mocking Dr. Ford. That's right. Yeah, mm. that's that was, oh my God, there's so much mocking that goes on. I, I'm forgetting, like... The I'm, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. I think that, I think that people who love President Trump enough to attend a rally for him are the sort of people that like to imagine people like us getting angry at things like that. And so I am trying to keep my rage in check mm-hmm. um, because he's performing. You know, he's he's a bad he's a bad stand up comic who's mm-hmm. who's driving the world into or off a cliff. And I just I don't know. I think it's it's obviously disgusting. But I if somebody told me that he that I did not need to see the clip before I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds totally right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds exactly. like he totally did checks that. out. Yep. Checks out. Checks out on brand. He also expressed concern for men this past week. I don't know if you guys read him uh, or, or heard him say that uh, it's a very scary time for young men in America. But that that also struck me as a real crown jewel this past week. Yeah. It's crazy to me that they can conceive of things happening to men mm-hmm. as though those men were people, but not happening to women. Like, it's as though they believe us to be two separate species, one with a higher purpose and higher capacity for emotional feelings and and leadership and and value. And then the other part being this kind of unnecessary, annoying sex puppet class, (laughs) which is uh, a a whole thing. It is is a whole thing. I mean... What's frustrating about about that comment to me is that by saying that that uh, it's a scary time for young men, first of all, like, let's be real. He's saying it's a scary time for young white men in America because it's been a scary time for young. Yeah. What about the fucking Central Park Five? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Calling for them to be executed when they were not guilty. Exactly. But the second thing is that he is tapping into something that I think is actually valid, which is the fact that masculinity is evolving. It is changing right now. So young men, I don't think, should be afraid of that. When you frame it as, uh, as something that men should be afraid of, then, yeah, they're going to feel fearful. But uh, it's that when, by nature of this feminist movement, by nature of the Me Too movement, women are gaining power. You know, the flip side of that is that masculinity is being called into question a little bit. But I don't think that's necessarily bad. I only think it's being brought up in such a way by Trump and by his cohorts that it's it's a scary thing for men. But it shouldn't be viewed as a scary thing for men. It should be seen as an evolution. I think that he is saying it's a scary time for men because he's afraid that women just go around willy-nilly accusing men of rape. Exactly. Exactly. And, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Did you guys talk to your families about this, uh, about the hearing? and Definitely. Where they yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I talked to my parents parents about it they were they were very invested in watching it did you guys? I no I just I after I I did um I was on Pod Save America last Thursday and after I did that episode I just like wanted to crawl into a hole I, I couldn't yeah. think about it anymore 
Yeah. Um, but I, I did, I did talk to a family about it. It just wasn't my family. I see. <laughs> did you talk to yours, Karen? Yeah, I did. My so my dad was very like because he's in England right now, and I asked if he watched the hearings, and he was like, he was like, yeah, he's that guy's going through a really rough time, and I was really like, wow. and I was really like, why, well, why do you think that? Well, he was so upset, and I was like, yeah, yeah, but but how about? And I like you know kind of like went in on not I didn't go in on him, but it was really interesting to hear how much I was surprised, honestly, like how his kind of empathy, like just, just like kind of default went to Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Cause he was like, Oh, people get accused in America of stuff all the time. It happens constantly. And then I had to kind of be like, and this sucks that I had to qualify, but I was like, but she's a professor. She's very wealthy. She has a PhD. I mean, this is a, you know, this isn't, you know, not that it should even matter if somebody is a stripper or what they do. But I was like, this is somebody who's lived a private life who. And then when like I associated it with education and like all of that stuff that started to kind of, you know, he was like, Ugh. yeah, I get that. But it was is really it made me wonder, you know, I think that there's like kind of public and private opinion that people mm. hold. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm, you know, it's my dad. So but I thought that that was really I was surprised by that. And it made me curious. Do you know what I mean? Like what people's, yes, there's the stuff that people say on Twitter and whatever, but like, what do you say when you're in your group of friends? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of an important question. Like Donald Trump does the thing. He says the thing that people used to feel like they were only comfortable saying around other scared, spiteful people right. who blame everything wrong with the world on the fact that women are gaining power, that, uh, no, the idea of gender is changing, that it's no longer okay to hold down a girl at a party and try to rape her, even if she's been drinking too. I think that there are people who were talking about those things in private. And now Donald Trump has kind of started saying the quiet part loud, apparently. This week, in a special edition of Uterus Weekly, I'm delighted to welcome Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono. Born in Fukushima, Japan, Hirono was nearly eight years old when her mother brought her and her siblings to Hawaii to escape an abusive husband and seek a better life. Hirono served in the Hawaii House of Representatives from 1981 to 1994. She was elected Hawaii's lieutenant governor in 1994. Voters in Hawaii's 2nd Congressional District elected Hirono to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives in 2006. Senator Hirono was elected to the Senate in 2012 and sworn in as Hawaii's first female senator and the country's first Asian-American woman senator. She serves on several committees in the Senate, including Armed Services and the Committee on Energy and Natural Resources. But she's been most visible recently as a member of the Committee on the Judiciary. So, Senator Hirono, what's the congressional cafeteria like right now? I imagine kind of tense. Wait, a congressional cafeteria? Yeah, like where do you eat when you eat lunch? Is, is everything very <laughs> oh, I usually tense? eat sitting at my desk. <laughs> <laughs> Who goes out? No, I just sit at my desk, read the paper, you know, that sort of thing, and and I tell you, it would be nice if um, I had at least, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes to eat, but often that doesn't happen. I'm not complaining. You know, it is what it is. So I'm, yeah. I'm actually uh, really glad to be here at this time of great uh, non-normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you're doing is really important. This week is really important. Uh, McConnell announced that there will be a vote this week on oh, yeah. Kavanaugh's confirmation. Mm -hmm. What's your strategy leading up to the final vote? 
We've been talking about how this is not normal times. That's what I've been saying because uh, certainly it's not normal to rush this person uh, through in, in this way. It's not normal not to have all of the documents that we should have access to. It's not normal not to uh, have a, an FBI investigation for new information that came forward. And it's not normal for uh, appropriate witnesses to not come before the committee. So these are not normal times. And uh, what I would uh, characterize as the all-fired rush by the Republicans to get this person on the Supreme Court, they did want to do it before the October term started, and they're trying to get as close to that as possible because uh, he is going to be the reliable fifth vote on a lot of issues that will impact all of our lives for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so last night, on, the, on that note, um, last night at a, at a rally in Mississippi, President Trump openly mocked and imitated yeah. Dr. Ford's testimony. Mm-hmm. How do you respond to this as a woman, and, and how do Republicans justify this behavior? How the Republicans justify this behavior? I think that the Republicans, in my view, have lost their souls. And I was very, very disheartened, to say the least, uh, but not surprised for President Trump to go down to the lowest common denominator, which for him is always uh, attacking people, making fun of people, uh, all of that. It's really sad, more than sad, but tragic that we've come to the point where this kind of behavior is deemed normal from a president of the United States. So, you know, we can't get used to this kind of bullshit. So I was very disheartened. And one thing he said is he mocked her, the fact that she couldn't remember some peripheral things about the attack. And when I w- was able to, I was on um, Anderson Cooper last night, and I said well, the thing that she was 100% sure of is Brett Kavanaugh attacked her. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know what was disheartening was really to, uh, all, to listen to all the cheers. So he knows how to play to his base. He knows how to rile up his base. And what I am doing is uh, to uh, to listen to the, all these thousands and thousands of women who have come forward, and I want them to retain their anger but to be very determined because mm-hmm. we can't just be angry. We have to be determined to do something about it. And I just heard from one of my colleagues that we're all getting phone calls and uh, we're being uh, all kinds of communications from women, particularly who have experienced these kinds of assaults, and kept it to themselves, but he told me that he talked to two women who had contacted him. One was 80 years old, Hmm. and this happened to her when she was much, much, much younger. So this is what's going on. This is a moment for our country. We obviously in the Senate have not figured out how we should uh, deal with or, or address the issue of sexual assault in our country and what to do. So, you know, the rest of the country is paying attention, much mm-hmm. of the rest of the country. That gives me hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is definitely something that, that we see over here, too. Um, but on the other hand, you know, on one hand, we have people that care very deeply about this and that are feeling empowered to speak up, that, like mm-hmm. the 80-year-old woman who called your colleague yes. and your colleague who, who was moved enough about it to, to tell you. But at the same time, there's a huge swath of the population that just doesn't care, that easily just dismisses allegations of sexual assault, assault and harassment. Do you think that this is politically motivated? Do you think men who brush off allegations or justify it by calling locker room talk or boys will be boys are inadvertently tattling on their potential past behavior by being dismissive about sexual assault? And I wanted to know what your thoughts were about that. I think it comes from uh, fear that uh, as exemplified by what both uh, Trump and his son said, that uh, the the men and boys in our country should be very, very afraid. Really? Afraid of what? That women are going to falsely accuse them? 
that's their attitude. This is why people who have experienced these kinds of terrible assaults, mainly women, do not come forward. But I hope that this is a, a moment where we're just going to stop this kind of thinking uh, and, and do our best. You know, I just feel as though all the women who are coming forward, some of them never having talked about assaults going back decades, that they're going to remember how it felt then and how it feels now mm-hmm. to be marginalized, to be, to be shunted aside, to be told basically, we really don't want to hear from you, and even if you come forward, we don't believe you. I hope they retain that anger, but it has to be channeled and determined. And I tell you, uh, the women are really making, are going to make a difference, in my view, in 2018. That is my hope. Yeah. That helps to keep me going. Yeah, same on this side. One thing that I was thinking about yesterday as I was walking around listening to old Maisie Hirono interviews on my headphones <laughs> um, was that you've done a lot of work on uh, military sexual assault. And one of, the, yes. one of the things that you emphasized in a bill that you sponsored, I believe, last November, which feels like a million years ago, to be honest, but last November, um, was the practice of retaliation against survivors who come forward and report. And yes. I, was, I was thinking yesterday, as I listened to you talk about that, how it feels now as though the Senate is practicing a form of kind of sick retaliation on American women who report. Like Dr. Ford came forward and the retaliation seems to be doubling down on Kavanaugh. Is, does it feel like that from inside the chambers? What it feels like is uh, the Republicans not being able to face the uh, report to be able to deal with it. Uh, they're just uh, hiding behind whatever it is, you know, the, these, these, this kind of thinking that led to the scourge of sexual assault in the military when there was supposed to be zero tolerance in the military for sexual assault and harassment. It went on for decades and decades. And I believe that, uh, not I believe, I know that it was the women sitting on that Armed Services Committee, finally seven of us in a very macho committee, and Kirsten Gillibrand and the, the rest of us, very much focused on we're not going to just sweep this aside. And this is why there is a change. When women are sitting at the decision-making table, we, fo- we can focus on those kinds of issues that do not get the kind of attention that they deserve. So uh, in that context... We know that uh, there's retaliation that's still going on in the military. Uh, We know that the culture has to change, and that doesn't happen overnight. And obviously, in our country, we do not have the kind of cultural shift that says this has this kind of harassment, this kind of sexual conduct and uh, (laughs) attacks have to stop. But it doesn't happen overnight. We have to teach our girls and boys how to treat each other like human beings. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, from the uh, admitted predator-in-chief, practically half the country is getting a whole different kind of message. Yeah. And that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and you and your mother uh, fled Japan. You were fleeing a, an abusive father. Uh, how does your experience, your personal experience with abuse, inform the way that you approach issues of abuse in your professional life? I know that if my mother had been married to a normal person, who a, a, a person in that culture supposed to take care of the family and all of that, none of which my father did because he was a uh, alcoholic as well as a compulsive gambler, so he had two illnesses. We're enough for my mother facing up to it because I know that uh, people who are in abusive relationships very, very difficult to get out of those relationships because usually they come and say they're sorry, blah, blah, blah. I'm so grateful 
that my mother recognized what she needed to do to save herself and her children. So she changed my life. Now, what it's not, I, I wouldn't say that it was so much that. It was more the fact that my mother took control of what was going on in her life, that that's what informs a lot of what I do. And of course, being an immigrant, not speaking the language, being poor, I, I really speak for people who do not have much of a voice. And, and really, I don't. I, I would not be doing this if it, if it were not for that kind of a, a background of being an immigrant, being very much an outsider, having a very strong mother, mother who did something very amazing for that time. And it's not as though she sat me down and said, oh, my daughter, here's life lesson for you. I just watched her mm-hmm. being very determined to uh, support our family. Mm-hmm. How does it make you feel to know that young women are watching you uh, as somebody who they're looking up to in the same way? It's not anything that I ever thought about for myself because most of the time uh, I work very quietly but uh, in, in a very effective way to uh, to move legislation. That's really uh, the, the, uh, the approach that I've taken. But the times call for a lot of us to be much more vocal. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a fighter, and I've just been very quiet about it. I'm, I'm good at what I do. I'm an advocate. This is why being in Congress as when I served for 14 years in the state legislature is uh, much, uh, you know, it's kind of my cup of tea. But at the same time, yes, uh, this whole kind of role, I suppose, that I did not seek, but I do realize that if my speaking out is encouragement for others to uh, speak out, stand their ground, I'm, I'm glad for it. Going back to what you were talking about, you, you kind of brushed up against this when you were talking about the Armed Services uh, Committee. You mentioned a couple weeks ago that uh, that men should just shut up and step up, <laughs> which is a great. Well, it was in the, you know, Aaron, it was in the context of uh, the four women who sit on the Judiciary Committee. I think the question was something like, well, do the four of you basically, do you have some kind of special responsibility to deal with this issue? And I said, it's not just us. It's the men. It's all of us. In fact, it's the men who are basically perpetuating this kind of behavior. And I, that's when I said, all you men out there, just shut up and step up and <laughs> do the right thing. So that is being hurled back at me in all different contexts, including, <laughs> I have to say, Lindsey Graham was uh, on, what, George Stephanopoulos just before I was on, and he said, Maisie Hirona told me to shut up, but I'm not shutting up. <laughs> well, <laughs> how how brave. <laughs> what a brave, brave man, that Lindsey Graham, who's had a massive platform uh, now for I'm a long time. Now I'm characterized <laughs> as a man-hater. Oh, please. <laughs> uh you know, uh, so what would happen if, in your in your vision, what would happen if more men would take a step back and listen to women and in context from the Senate all the way down to women who work in industries like the service industry? Well, I can tell you the world would be a much better place. <laughs> much better place. <laughs> That's being just, uh, you know, sort of. I'm not being facetious by saying that, but women have had to put up with this kind of bullshit for for way, way, way too long, and I'm hoping that this is a time for some kind of a cultural shift and a and a tipping point uh, for uh, for women in this country. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't have to be loud and obnoxious about it, but we need to be very determined, mm-hmm. and we need to stay the course because. 
the, these cultural changes are, uh, do, not, uh, do not happen unless we are persistent. Mm-hmm. And especially one like this, we have the fault lines in our country. We obviously haven't de- dealt very well with race in our country. We obviously haven't dealt very well with gender equality issues in our country. So, you know, I'm really glad that uh, we now have, uh, we support uh, same-sex marriage. That was amazing. I didn't think that would happen in my lifetime. But uh, we need to stay the course Mm-hmm. in terms of the kind of uh, change we want and how women are treated in this country. Mm-hmm. Senator, since you're the only immigrant in the Senate and therefore the only one who cannot run for president in a sea mm-hmm. of people who might be trying to think <laughs> about running for president, does that leave you free to, and I'm, and I'm using the phrasing of one of my colleagues, does that leave you free to let your freak flag fr- fly? <laughs> well, <laughs> there are a lot of people who don't know that I can't run for president, but, uh, well... You know, there are a lot of things that cause me to speak out much more, and it's because I am on a daily basis outraged by what this administration is doing to children at the border, to uh, the DACA people that we haven't even dealt with, 800,000 of them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my head explodes on a regular basis, and so I'm very motivated to to speak out. Uh, And I think the feedback I get from people who appreciate the fact that I am speaking on, and I speak very plainly, by the way, sometimes not even in complete sentences. <laughs> I think it reaches people in a way that uh, that they can tell that I'm not programmed mm-hmm. to do this. I, I really come from a standpoint of knowing what it feels like to be marginalized, to be part of the Me Too, because I've certainly had people, uh, you know, men, do unwanted kind of things that that we've had to, that I've had to put up with, and I know most women have had to. Mm-hmm. And so I... I have life experiences that have brought me to this point, and I'm glad that I'm able to speak up because it makes a difference to a lot of people. But I always tell everyone, look, each one of us has a responsibility now because these are not normal times. Maybe in normal times you call up your senator, you call up your representative, and you think your job is done. These are not normal times. We have to all be organized. We have to... uh, reach out to advocacy groups that we may not have worked with. I say to all the people who come to see me, we, please get out of your advocacy silos mm-hmm. because we are all getting screwed. Mm-hmm. I've been saying this long before I started to be so vocal that people in our country are getting screwed every second minute of uh, an hour of the day. Mm-hmm. And if by our efforts in my office, we can decrease that number. We'll be making a difference. We will be doing our jobs. And it's something that I've said for years now in terms of what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. Well, one more thing. You mentioned your head exploding a lot, which is unfortunate. <laughs> on, a day, <laughs> um, on a regular basis. On a regular basis. <laughs> the mm-hmm. senator with the exploding head, Maisie Hirono. Um <laughs> How do you put your head back together after it explodes? Like, how, how, do you, how do you regroup? How do you calm yourself down? And apart from just caring deeply about the issue, how, how do you de-stress? I usually have at least one Trumpless day a week. Oh, really? Trumpless day. Mm-hmm. Usually it's Sundays, and I do other things. I don't turn on the news. And I do other things, uh, mainly more creative things. Uh, I do pottery, which I don't do here, so I, I uh, found another outlet. Uh, which is I make my own paper and I make cards and I do those things. I'm I'm, I'm very, um, I, I would say that I, my outlet is to uh, to do art. That's so cool. And so I used to go to the museums a lot. And but 
I say to everybody, we all need a break, and I um, we all should take a Trumpless day, at least one day every week. Sometimes I have to take an entire Trumpless weekend Ooh. to keep my souls together. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so luxurious. I'm going to try that one of these times. You should. It's very helpful. <laughs> well, Senator Hirono, I know you have a lot of important work to do, maybe the most important Thank you, work. Aaron. Thank you so much for speaking with me, and have a Thank great day. Thank you. Bye. Aloha. And we're back with some female candidates we're excited about. We are taking some time on hysteria between now and the election to spotlight women candidates that we're really excited about and also tell you all to visit Crooked Media's Vote Save America, which has recently launched. If you go to votesaveamerica.com, you can register to vote, you can view competitive races, and you'll be able to see sample ballots pretty soon. There's a lot of stuff there, so please, if you haven't visited yet, do so. So this week we have three candidates we're going to showcase. And Kieran, why don't we start with yours? Uh, Her name is Carolyn Long. She is the Democratic challenger in Washington's third district. The website is electlong.com, www.electlong.com. I kind of love that name, guys. I kind of love it, too. Elect Long. That's pretty memorable. Carolyn Long is a first-time candidate, and she's challenging another woman, Republican incumbent Jamie Herrera-Butler. While the race leads Republican... In the open primary, more Democrats voted than Republicans, which makes this race much more competitive than was originally believed. And Carolyn is a fighter who works for working families and grew up in a rural coastal community where her mother worked as a waitress and her father worked odd jobs and started a small produce business. And she started working at the store when she was 12 years old to help her family make ends meet. So she worked her way through college with a union job. Go unions. Go unions. (laughs) Shout out to unions. Aaron loves a union. I love a good union. Love a good union (laughs) at a grocery store. And then she went on to earn her Ph.D. in political science. She's an accomplished professor who has written two books on constitutional law, has worked at Washington State University, Vancouver, for more than two decades as a tenured professor and in administrative leadership positions and Uh, kind of felt the call to public duty and the civic duty, and she's running for office for the first time to stand up for Washington State, working families, and to defend American values as they come under attack like never before. She's great. Also, Jamie Herrera-Butler used to work, I believe, for another congresswoman from Washington State, and uh, her her opponent, Long's opponent, and she's uh, kind of an enemy of of choice, as most Republicans are now. There are very few pro-choice Republicans, but Carolyn Long is is a Democratic challenger to somebody who is very openly anti-choice. So she's somebody that definitely deserves our support. Mm-hmm. Grace, let's talk about your candidate. Well, let's talk about another first-time candidate over here. First-time candidate Sharice Davids, who is the Democratic Sharice. challenger. What up? Sharice. Democratic challenger in Kansas's third district, and you can find out more about her at SharicePorCongress.com. So she is challenging Republican Kevin Yoder, and if she is elected, she is a triple threat here. If elected, she's going to be the first Native American woman in Congress, the first openly gay person from Kansas's congressional delegation, and the first woman to represent her district. That's Whoa. huge. Whoa. Yeah. So if she wins, she's just going to like run around the district in circles just being like, oh. I mean, I'm throwing her a parade she for sure. She becomes queen of the district. She does. Queen of the district. So the race right now is a toss-up. It's leaning slightly in favor of her opponent. However... 
Yoder is the most vulnerable house incumbent in Kansas. Come on, so, Kansas women. Come on, Kansas. So um, Sharice was raised by a single mother who is also a U.S. Army veteran in Leavenworth. And as a member of the Ho-Chunk Nation, Sharice could make history, um, again, as the first Native American woman elected in Congress. So a little bit about her background. She graduated from law school uh, and then worked for a law firm in Kansas City, specifically on issues including economic development for Native American tribes. She then went on to live and work on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, uh, and she served as a White House fellow during the final year of the Obama administration. This is one of my favorite things about her. Uh, most recently, she hosted a podcast that she called Starty Pants. Oh, I love that. I love it so much. And it's called Starty Pants because she interviewed entrepreneurs and investors. Also, guys, this woman just keeps getting cooler. She's also competed in MMA tournaments. What? Yeah, mixed martial arts tournaments, fighting both professionally and as an amateur, both categories. Oh my god. She's awesome, dude. She's, She's so awesome. cool. Also, I one quick note, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation uh, in South Dakota is one of the most economically depressed places in the country and it's really really something that needs smart people like her working on helping advance. So it's really cool that she did that. Also, like, she's an MMA fighter, so she could literally kick all of her asses. Totally. Literally and figuratively. I mean, she's... Go, go Sharice. Mm -hmm. My candidate is Angie Craig. She is the Democratic challenger in Minnesota's 2nd District. Minnesota. 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 That's uh, near my home stomping grounds. I'm from the Minnesconsin region, right between uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, Angie's website is angiecraig.com. In 2016, Angie ran against the current Republican incumbent, Jason Lewis, but lost by just two points, less than 10,000 votes. Oh, my God, everybody needs to vote. Please mm -hmm. go vote. Mm -hmm. If elected, Angie would become Minnesota's first LGBTQ Congress member. The race is rated as a toss-up, but projections show her as the likely winner. No, her uh, opponent, Jason Lewis, is terrible. He used to be a loudmouth talk radio host, and my dad used to listen to him to get himself angry because he was so wrong and bad. Um, he sucks. I like your dad. That's cool. My dad's my dad's awesome. That's dope. Uh, Angie Craig is awesome. Angie Craig is running for Congress because the opportunities she was lucky enough to have are disappearing for too many working families. She grew up in a mobile home park, one of three kids raised by a single mom who worked while going to school to earn her college degree. Uh, Angie worked two jobs to keep up with the cost of her education, graduated from a state college. She began her career as a newspaper reporter and then worked her way up in business over 15 years to eventually lead a workforce of 16,000 employees for a major Minnesota manufacturer. As a former Fortune 500 company executive, Angie has helped create jobs, empowered women and veterans to advance their careers, and created workplace policies to promote diversity and inclusion. Angie's also been a powerful advocate for marriage equality in the state. She and her wife are proud to have raised their four sons in Minnesota and embraced the state's values of family, community, and caring for each other. That's great. Minnesota's great. Go Angie Craig, beat Jason Lewis, and voters in Minnesota, in Kansas, and in Washington, please pay attention to these great candidates. They've all three been endorsed by our pal and yours, former President Barack Obama. Love that. That's so exciting. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Uh, so we have to take a break. And when we come back, we'll have our guest, Jen Richards, and Personal Political. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I or, love that for Viore. 
Is that, you know what? That seems like a real perk of Iori. <laughs> it is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. <laughs> five stars. No five, comment. 100% great. That's the type that's my favorite sport. The new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are cuz you know like not everybody's the same. You know? So mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just, just pull that drawstring and I don't show, I don't show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at a dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. back. Hysteria is delighted to welcome this week Jen Richards, a writer and actress. 
Jen will join HBO's new comedy, Mrs. Fletcher, as a series regular Margot, a transgender woman who teaches a creative writing course that Katherine Hahn's character enrolls in. Jen, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to kind of segue quickly into a segment we call Personal Political. Personal Political is, uh, you know, kind of about how news stories affect our lives. And a story that kind of struck me this week was uh, California now has a law on the books that will require uh, corporations to have women on their boards if they have a presence in the state. One thing that that kind of reminded me of is how feminism is sort of in some ways it seems a little trickle-downy to me. Like, women at the top are given a ton of energy and a ton of resources and a ton of coverage, but how does that affect women who are more marginalized? And Jen, I wonder what you think about that. I don't think, like everything, it's complicated. I actually do think that's a great law. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good start. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that, I mean, I ne- wouldn't necessarily call it trickle-down, but there is evidence that it's harder for marginalized people lower in an organization to succeed if there aren't people like them at the top of the organization. Mm-hmm. There's good evidence about that. Uh, I used to work in nonprofit management for years and did a lot of consulting there. And one of the issues with diversity is that people would often try to put like a single person, like we'll have one black person on the board or Mm -hmm. one black person on staff. And what they found is that um, in order for any particular marginalized identity to feel comfortable and confident, they need to have at least two other people of that same identity within the organization and ideally at different levels. Mm -hmm. If there's just two people, weird dynamics happen. If you're alone, you just people tend to check out. There's a, there's a kind of critical mass that reaches. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you really do have to have it at all, at all levels from the board down to entry level. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a kind of like necessary but not sufficient, to use a logical phrase. Like, right. I think it's actually really helpful to, to mandate that. Um, you'll probably get cases of tokenization, but... I get tokenized all the time, and as long as I'm getting paid and I get responsibility for it, like, I'm okay with that, you know? I like the way you use the term critical mass. You need, like, at least three. I was like, oh, that's like when me and my cousins walk down the street in Boston and people get frightened. <laughs> critical mass. There's three of us. Oh, no, they're taking over. What do you and your cousins look like? That oh, are so frightening. We're just scary. We're just scary with our mean mugging faces. I imagine kind of goth thing or yeah, something. No. <laughs> oh, this is, a, this is an audio medium, so people can't see this at home, but just... Jen is drinking out of a cup that looks like it's made of skeletons. Skeletons standing on skulls in case the skeletons weren't enough. And we're talking like 12, I think, around the mug. Well, those skeletons are comfortable, like, regardless, because there's 12 of them, so none of the skeletons feel like they're There's a critical mass of skeletons. Critical mass of skeletons, for sure. Uh, Jen, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your work as a visible trans actress. Um, You were the first ever openly trans character on a CMT show, which is kind of incredible. Did that... D- did that strike you when you were on Nashville? Were you, did you realize that you were breaking ground, that you were doing something that nobody had done before? I, there's this bad habit of trans people to always say they're the first to do something. I'm the first person to open a Dr. Pepper in room 310 today. You know? <laughs> it's like everyone wants to claim the first. Uh, I think it is significant to have an openly trans performer on country music television just because of shows like Nashville's reach in areas that might not otherwise get exposed to these issues. I'm from the South. Like, my family's in North Carolina and Mississippi. So I was going home to North Carolina, right, during the height of HB2, which said, like, I'm supposed to use the men's room. Mm -hmm. And it's shows like Nashville that got to people who could be kind of, their their fears could be exploited because of ignorance, because they had this blind spot. Uh, You know, kind of right-wing conservatives who were trying to stoke an issue that didn't exist could raise the specter of, you know, a burly man who throws on a dress and, like, sneaks into the women's room and it's legally protected. 
And when people in those areas didn't know any trans people at all in real life, it's kind of easy to, to buy into that just because out of, you know, desire to protect your children. But then they see someone like my character on Nashville, and I don't think they even mentioned that the character's trans to like the second or third, I think the third appearance. So there's a chance for the audience just to see them as a character who's, you know, helping the lead of the show, you know, recover from an accident. You get to know the person a little bit. And then it comes out, and then it's not so scary. It's just like, oh, that's just a person. It's just a person. Like, what, what was the big deal? Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess that kind of, to me, feels like it has parallels in when we're, people are looking for a blank person to work in any position, like a female CEO or a, a black member of the board. It's sort of like, I mean, on one hand, I, I worry that, like, pushing one person to the top and then being like, okay, we did it, we're done, we have one, mm-hmm. we're good. Mm-hmm. I worry that that's not, you know, that's not sufficient. But on the other hand, you know, having one person can be kind of the beginning of maybe normalizing what that looks like and Absolutely. what that feels like. If the person is good, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a whole issue, too. That's the problem with tokenization is that if someone throws someone in just because of their identity and not because of the qualities they actually bring to whatever you know they're there for, then you get this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of like, well, we didn't think th- this kind of person was good enough, and then we threw them in there, and look, they weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. So and, the, right. and that cycle continues. So you really do have to look for the best people, but I think there's a, a kind of consciousness raising that comes when you decide to, like, we're going to put more women and then look for really good women who will help our company. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is it seems like it's, you need opportunity to get good is exactly. the other thing. It's not just like, the, it's not just cart horse, it's horse cart. And yeah. so that's where, Aaron, we were talking about it earlier, like that UN resolution 1325, it was like in conflict resolution, they found that like the UN started saying, okay, if you get four people in a in a situation to resolve a conflict, uh, you get one more person if you add a woman. So you can have four people or you can have five people and make sure that one of them is a woman. Because in a lot of areas, mm-hmm. like no women were ever included. And by getting a chance to be a part of that process of being just getting involved, getting a seat at the table, getting to be a part of the conversation, that then gave some agency to people when they come back to run for leadership roles, mm-hmm. to gain confidence, to gain experience, to know what it's like. Because certain things you can't get good until you've had the experience to do those things. Um, you and get men, good and on men the job. get a chance to fail. Like that's something right. that men that's a that's a big privilege that men have that is denied most other identities mm-hmm. is is the chance to fail. I see it in Hollywood all the time. Like some young, bold, you know, young white director will get a chance to, you know, do a big feature film and then it'll completely fail and like, oh, he took big risks. He swung for the fences. Let's give him another shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then a you woman can assault somebody and get a franchise. Yeah, exactly. And then a woman does it. It's like, well, see, women can't women can't do comedy. Right. Or right. whatever or whatever the, whatever the case yeah, may yeah. be. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Same. a really interesting point. It feels like um, it, it feels like sometimes, yeah, men do have a chance to fail. And, and men, I was thinking about this last week, not to bring everything back to Kavanaugh, but it's sort of Hard so, right yeah, now. Yeah. It's so in the air right now. Um, I was thinking about the hearing last week and, and Dr. Ford was so composed and for the most, she was obviously scared, but she was very polite and, you know, deferential to the people asking the question she was in their workspace and she was and then you know Brett Kavanaugh comes up there like a big whiny fucking baby and I just like was thinking afterwards pundits were treating it as though they were in any way comparable performance <laughs> right like and it reminded me of the debates last fall between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump where he would just kind of march around the stage looming mm. and saying nonsense. And then afterwards, people were like, well, I don't know. It's a toss-up. Like, it's <laughs> it, it was so frustrating. Did you watch the, the Kavanaugh hearings and have a reaction? 
I tried not to, but I couldn't help it. It was just everywhere. I was actually breaking a pilot at NBC, and we kept taking breaks to go, you know, watch more of it. God, it's like the world's it's, grimmest soccer game. Like, you know, it's really like was. the world was gathering around to be like, oh, fuck. It's, it's horrifying, though. Like, I can't believe, I mean, just on the face of it, like, if you just for a moment compartmentalize whether or not the allegations are true or whether they're even relevant, if you just put all that aside for a second, just the way he composed himself mm -hmm. during that hearing is astonishing that he would even be considered for a position that is supposed to be defined in large part by a calm even-handed decorum, decorum yeah. civility yeah yeah self-restraint yeah you know being bipartisan neutral like I keep thinking about Hillary with the with the Benghazi hearings too, and thinking about how composed and cool mm -hmm. she was for for like how many hours? Ten hours. Ten or hours crazy. Yeah. Like ten that. hours straight. Yeah, she did no yelling. No, and mm -hmm. no, and I mean, yeah, the, the lack of decorum was was striking to me. The fact that that there's a comparison between those two, um, it's been really frustrating. I think emotionally, and and I I sort of toggle between feeling frustrated that we're all focused on it, and also to some extent feeling excited that we are all so invested in something in, in kind of civic engagement. Yeah. Um, but God, I wish it wasn't under these circumstances. Well, I was thinking a lot during the, also during the Kavanaugh thing, cause I watched the entire fucking thing. Oh wow. Um, so you're a masochist. Yeah. Well, I had, I had to do it for work. I had to do it for my job, which is masochism. That is my job. <laughs> um, Professional masochism. I was thinking about how, when Sonia Sotomayor was being considered for the Supreme court, how, People were like latching on to her being a, calling herself a wise Latina and uh, kind of penalizing her in the press for being in, in some way not even close to as emotional as Kavanaugh. I was wondering, Grace, if you had thoughts on this. On her saying that she's a wise Latina? On, on, on like the, the uh, I guess the, the chasm between the way that Brett Kavanaugh was treated and the way that any woman of color is treated in this context. Well, I mean, I, I think it goes back to the idea of tokenism that we've kind of talked about as well. Sonia Sotomayor could, she just didn't have an option to fail. She just didn't have an option but to be the best possible version of herself and the best possible version of any Latina that could exist. Mm -hmm. Brett Kavanaugh just has to be good for himself. He just has to make himself look somewhat passable. Um, is there a double standard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I just... I, I also think that, like, and I, I, I know there have been a number of conversations about this, but the whole hearing itself was was convoluted and weird because it wasn't a trial, mm -hmm. and it wasn't exactly it wasn't his hearing to become Supreme Court justice. It lived in this strange world that I think was super unsatisfying because when we walked away from it, I ultimately don't think we learned much more. We didn't learn much about what happened between. We the learned two of them. that he is a dick. Exactly, like, exactly. I, before the hearing, I was like, wow, you know, I don't know very much about this guy, except I find his judicial record appalling. But then after the, the, the uh, hearing, I remember thinking, this is a man who behaves in a way that men think that they're entitled to behave to women or marginalized groups all the time, and they get away with it because they've always... Well, and with that's it. a key. Like who? So to me, it's it's not politics. It's theater. At yes, that point, right. everyone is performing for the audience, and then we have to ask who is the audience. Mm -hmm. And I think for for Lindsey Graham, I think for Brett Kavanaugh, it was an audience of one. Mm -hmm. Like they were performing for Trump. Oh, I thought you were, were... going to say Satan. <laughs> <laughs> well, well for Trump and and Republicans, because I've heard a lot of uh, thoughts that it's about mobilizing the base. Like I think, well, I think it's a particular base. It's the base that Trump in particular mobilized, which I wouldn't actually call like. Like having grown up around Republicans, right. I mm -hmm. see no similarity between what's happening now and 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 traditional Republicanism. Sure, mm -hmm. sure, sure. It's they've utterly betrayed any value that they ever laid any claim to, mm -hmm. 
and it really has just become, you know, there was this awful joke on SNL last year where something about uh, the 52 genders that Facebook introduced mm-hmm. and like that was the reason that Trump got elected. Mm-hmm. And there was this kind of blowback against it and, and identity politics and all that. But I've been thinking about that ever since. And I think there's some truth in it, actually. Like I feel partially responsible. <laughs> you did it. You I did. did I know. But hear me out. I'll, I'll make this really brief. But basically... I mean, gender is such a huge part of the way that we move through the world, the way that we relate to each other, the way that we construct uh, everything that we see and want to do. And trans people kind of disrupted a very safe and secure binary that has defined people's roles in society for a really long time. And in that disruption, we've gotten a blowback to the most like kind of like basic reified forms of the gender binary. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing with with Trump. You know, we're, we're getting, you know, from from Obama, who's a very kind of like a feet kind of cold, you know, intellectual uh, to someone who is pure bombast, who can kind of brag about assaulting women because there's a sense of like, well, that's how men are. That's what men do. Mm-hmm. And I got the sense that very much that Brett Kavanaugh, uh, that's what he was doing. He was kind of like doing what he thought Trump would want and people who like Trump would want, which is being a man. Like, yeah, I did this. I drink beer and like I hit on women because that's what men do. Mm-hmm. And that's their correct role. So you're saying that that's not necessarily even reflective of of his authentic self. Because I can't I can't possibly claim to know that. I just know that that in that moment that is the performance he reverted to and that there's I'm sure that there's a reason for that. I think that's dead on because that, that's actually something that that I noticed too. It it did feel like theater, but it also felt like a fabrication of this this man's identity and the way that he viewed himself. I don't know that he necessarily sees himself as this like, you know, bloated frat dude. Um, I think he probably has uh, holds himself in higher esteem, but I do feel like there's a pressure to put himself in some yeah. particular box, and I think that's the one that he went with, and that's probably the one that he was guided to go into. And as you mentioned, it's for a purpose. It's because there's an audience that he's trying to appeal to. We've and- seen again and again Trump critiquing his own team when they mm-hmm. don't stand up strong enough. He hated yes. that about Sean Spicer. You know, he hated the the impersonations on SNL because they made someone look weak. Yeah, like that's his whole thing. I was actually concerned that that uh, that well, not. Concerned. I my my impression was that Trump was going to hate the Kavanaugh performance because he cried because there were moments of emotion. I thought that was going to make him look weak. In effect, in effect, you know, it was kind of the opposite because I think he showed a range of of bravado that that ultimately Trump really liked. But um, I just referring to it as theater is is dead on. Yeah. And that was something he's like. I think the Trump camp had specifically asked for that from Kavanaugh, mm. you know, from the jump, like it's it, before the hearing, it was kind of like, oh, like there was internal rumblings that, oh, we don't like the performance. He's too boring. He's too metered. You know, he needs to mm-hmm. kind of like step up to the plate. Mm-hmm. So this this to me felt a little bit like watching somebody who is kind of boring, like trying to muster up emotion, yes. you know, like and 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 the bombast, you know. Yeah. Um, I wish politics were boring. I really do. <laughs> yeah. Statecraft. Statecraft should be a craft. It should be like. It should be like engineering. We should be hiring people who are trained in it, who take a very kind of like mechanical approach to it. Yeah. This whole kind of cult of charisma that we have around politics is just so incredibly dangerous. Yes, yeah. I think we might be moving to a place now where you can't succeed as a politician unless you have that quality, and that that then takes. There, there's one positive to it, which I think that we are moving in a direction where career politicians no longer exist. The idea of somebody who just sort of works exclusively in that world um, and that you come from a, from a different background, I think, is kind of necessary. But that different background, 
is reality television. That yeah. different right. background is acting. That different background is something that is by nature performative and not by nature intended to, to pursue a civic duty and help right. people. But eventually you become the performance. Like if you're a person who is, you know, oh, but I'm not like that. You know, I... I just play a, an asshole on TV. I just play an asshole in Congress. I'm not an asshole in my, with my family or with my daughters. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, if your job is to be that asshole, eventually you, that's who you are. It takes over the person, the, mm. the goodness of you. And, it, and, it, and it's carcinogenic and it's not something that people can escape. I think a lot of people like to entertain the, the, the idea that they can somehow be a, throw a Lindsey Graham style tantrum and then also be a good guy that everyone, everybody wants to hang out with and eventually that comes to a head and that's impossible. Well, by the way, that's the double standard that, that Brett Kavanaugh, I think, was purporting uh, between his himself as an alcoholic and himself as a sober person too. There's this standard that like you can be a good guy but you can also be a bad drunk and I don't think that's the case at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case at all. I think if you if you're if you're a bad guy when you're drunk, then that's who you are. Yeah, all I of tend the to time. think so too. Yeah, I can I, we can say this that if Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed, he will be a groundbreaking Supreme Court drunk. The, the, oh, yeah. I'm sure there have been a lot of drunks on the Supreme Court. <laughs> That's true. I, was I have looking no at, doubt about there's that. There's so many. There's so much room in those flat, yeah, like exactly. for flasks in the robes. Just you can so have a much keg under that. That's robe what I no mean. You could just put, you know, keep a whole six pack all the beers. We don't know what's happening under the bench. <laughs> in in the robe, it's like you just have different pockets sewn <laughs> for like just yeah, exactly. <laughs> just you know, just as koozies. Look, yeah. he likes beer. I'm convinced that basically what, the only way that I can make sense of what's happening in uh, Washington right now is that. Straight white men in power have seen the writing on the wall that they know their time is up. Like, there's no way around it. Demographically, we're shifting in such a way that they cannot retain power. It's impossible. There's no other option. And so they're kind of, it's like a cash grab. They're like, fuck it. You know, this thing is ending. Let's steal and take whatever we can to benefit ourselves. And the one thing that they can do long term is stack the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's all about that. It's all about saving unborn babies and stopping the gays and stopping the women. (laughs) And they can do that best by stacking the court. And then everything else is just up for grabs. Well, and it's the sort of the spirit of Make America Great Again, which is like the reaching back to a time when everybody who's angry about how things are now was more comfortable. Yeah. Not not when not when, you know, women were more comfortable or people who were LGBTQ were more comfortable. Reaching back to a time when People who are, are, like you were saying, Jen, are made uncomfortable by the challenging of existing paradigms, they want to go back to that. And and it, they don't really care who they hurt or what they take away from people in the process. And I guess maybe we need more female CEOs and female senators and stuff there you go. To, <laughs> to combat that. Erin, I just wanted to say, like, and just to your point about it is your identity, like what you like. Kavanaugh had a choice. He still had a choice in how he wanted to, like, the Trump camp might have wanted him to perform a certain way. But at the end of the day, if you're supposed to be an independent thinker, if you're supposed to be a person who can withstand the pressure of whatever politics are and be, like, nonpartisan, then it's, like, that it's like the responsibility is still on him for for the words he chose Mm -hmm. to say out of his own face if he had been as calm and collected as 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 dr ford Mm -hmm. it would have come down to a he said she said which which is awful and there are people who would have picked a side no matter what but the few crucial swing people like flake and murkowski and etc who might have been on the fence like i I think he pushed in the wrong direction Mm. i think you're right i hope so I really hope so well what we found out very soon yeah i'm terrified i'm just so anxious about. i know i know i know (laughs) we have to take a break unfortunately but when we come back we'll have the hills will die on this week 
Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, the Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life. Maybe that's yourself to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at a dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. But you don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And we're back with The Hills Will Die on this week. Jen, since you're the guest, I'm going to let you go first. What's the hill you're going to die on? And it's not an important one, correct? No, it has to be unimportant. Okay. Well, this one's very important to me. I have a thing about... <laughs> you're already laughing. <laughs> Coffee cups versus teacups. Okay. Go on. Once something is a teacup, it can only ever be a teacup for life. And once something is a coffee cup, it can only ever be a coffee cup for life. And if I see someone put coffee in a teacup or tea in a coffee cup, I get incredibly anxious. So the shape of the cup or <laughs> mug does not matter. Well, I so ideally, like if I'm going to choose the first time a liquid goes into a cup, there will be considerations. I see. But ultimately, it's about whatever was served that first time in the cup. <laughs> so like, for instance, you have a purple cup right I have now a purple cup. that has a tea bag in yes. it. Yes. So I'm fine with that. It's the first time I've ever seen that cup. It has tea in it. If I were to see someone else drink coffee out of that cup, I would be like clawing at my seat. How bad would you hate it if I went to go put coffee in this after the tea right Oh, now? good Lord. Without no. <laughs> what even... if she puts coffee Stop. with Stop. the tea? Okay, that's enough. You're just being mean now. You guys, no bullying the guests. No, Thank no you. bullying. No bullying is number rule number one of hysteria. My skin is crawling. <laughs> I had a question about, because tea, you know how like the like a teacup can be, you know, like a proper, like with a tea yes. kettle. Like, so now what about if that cup originally gets coffee put in that? It's a teacup. Yeah. Well, if that original, no, okay, if that originally gets, because like my mom has cups that I would consider to be classic 
classic teacups. Like, tea, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she doesn't drink tea. She drinks coffee. So I'm okay with that. Okay. Because in huh. her house, those are coffee cups. What about other fluids? What if I put Coca-Cola in this cup? Why would you do that, though? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes, that just doesn't make sense. Sometimes if I, you know, haven't washed a dishes, then, yeah. Grace It feels cozy. By her own code. I know yeah. this is a weird, <laughs> fanatical little thing in my head, but I do think there's something to the shape of a cup, how wide it is, uh, the, the thickness of the lip and the material. Totally. That absolutely do determine how you intake the liquid. It's like with wine aficionados. Uh, yes, you know, exactly. Is, is that similar? Like when you drink absolutely. wine, do you have specific? Like, well, no, that's a real thing, that's though. A real thing, yeah, yeah, when I used to work in restaurants, they actually do have, there's a particular kind of glass for every varietal of wine. Right. Oh, right. my gosh. Absolutely. I don't have time for any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, now I've, I forever change the way I'm going to look at coffee and teacups. Thanks a lot, Jen. You're Thanks welcome. for passing on your anxiety. Uh, Kieran, what's your hill this week? Some, mine's petty, uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes I'll go on Yelp to find a restaurant, and it says it's open, but then you go to the restaurant, oh, and it's closed. That. Oh, boy. And I feel like kill yourself. If you are that restaurant, <laughs> no. I, I, Whose fault is that, though? Is it the restaurant's fault for misreporting their hours? Is it Yelp's fault for not getting it right? Is it isn't it is isn't Yelp crowdsourced in some way? So maybe we are at fault for not getting the. I, the I hours always took the hours as an official thing that Yelp worked out with the restaurant, mm, or yeah. that the restaurant has a right to put in there. I totally. I I was in Brooklyn the other day. Thank you for making that question much less existential. <laughs> <laughs> No, because I went to a restaurant and, and I chose it based on Yelp as an Indian restaurant and the only one in that neighborhood. And I went and it was three o'clock and it said it was open all day and it was closed. And, and they were like, closed. And I Sorry. sat there giving them the like death eye from like, it says you're open. <laughs> and they ignored me. Yeah, yeah. That is extremely rude. Okay, here's the hill I'm going to die on this week. Oregano is fucking trash. Come oregano on. is a tra- no. It is grace. Come on, do not. Start I stand with for oregano, but I want to hear. I want to hear. Not we like start- all the spices here. Yeah. Okay. First a of crooked all, media. First of all, it's an herb, and it is the trash herb. It tastes. It, it tastes like soap. It's always overused in foods. It detracts from the overall taste of like Italian food. I can't think of a, of a food that. Last night I made a, a soup and it called for oregano, and I was like, uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Not no. putting an oregano in you, no oregano, and I didn't use it with. I didn't use oregano in it. It was the best version of it I've ever made. It was great. What about if you? What about if it's fresh oregano? No, mm-hmm. fuck that. <laughs> what a, What about in a in a vinaigrette, a, a fresh vinaigrette of some kind for a salad? I guess if I can't taste the oregano. <laughs> Then it's fine. Fuck you, oregano. You know how people have, like, I, I have the gene that makes cilantro taste like soap. <gasps> Maybe you have a rare gene that makes oregano taste no, like No, I think I'm correct. Oh, wow. And the world is wrong. Mm-hmm. Any, does anyone that, else think oregano is trash? No. It is I love trash. I love it. I love oregano. Right. I love it. I consider it a spice. I consider them all spices. Herbs <laughs> and spices. <laughs> They're all spices. All right. Herbs are just you. kinds of spices. Anything I, you use to flavor food can be considered a spice. I will never it's sprinkle. Functional. Oregano. <laughs> I'll never sprinkle oregano straight on something. I'll I'll give you that. But I use it in things all the time. See, this I is why base oregano. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, this is why we need more women leaders because this is compromise that you're seeing right now. Yes, Grace. What's your hill this week? Okay, my hill this week is this: drinking is hard. It's hard. It's gotten harder. It's <laughs> difficult for me. I drink and then it's fun, and then the next day I feel like caca. 
and I don't like it, and it's difficult. That's called aging. I know. You so put, you put a lot of elbow hard. grease into drinking, though. So, you know. Uh, no, I, I... How committed are you to this, though? I'm to committed drinking. to it. Oh, well, I'll probably to still fighting drink. through the difficulty. That's the thing, is that... I, that's, she's a, yeah, she's a trooper. Right? I am a trooper, so I shall, I shall fight up. the good fight. I will not give up, but it is difficult, and I just want everyone to know that, the, that it, is, it, is, it is a struggle. I'm a petite woman, and I like to pretend that, or I forget that in the moment, and then I drink lots of sake, let's say, which happened two nights ago. And then all of yesterday, I was squiggly. I felt like a squiggly little line. Do you know the animated show Doug and all the characters are just kind of like slightly moving? That's me. That was me for a whole day after I had like six little teeny thimblefuls of sake. I think that's called being wavy. And I think usually wavy. the kids use it when in reference to drugs. Oh, yes. Yeah. My drug is is restaurant sake. And, <laughs> and drinking is hard. Oh, gosh. Well, those are all as stupid of hills to die on as, <laughs> as any week. And that's all the time we have for Hysteria this week. Thank you so much to Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii. Thanks to Jen Richards. Thanks, as always, to Grace Tara and Kieran Deal. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email us, hysteria at crooked.com. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes and tell your friends. We'll be back next week.